0: Galatians chapter 5. Last week we started off in this text regarding abuse of grace. We talked about the fact that many in America have filed complaints regarding abuse in the home, in the schools, in the workplace. And as real as that is, what tends to be missed by many of us as believers is that we abuse God's grace. We abuse God's grace by doing things that God does not want. We abuse God's grace by adding to what he has not said. And both of those things are very dangerous. Last week, we looked at the fact that Judaizers, who really were opposed to Paul, they added things to the word of God when it came to the Gentiles that came to saving faith. They told them that circumcision was necessary for salvation, which we know was not true. In fact, most of the things that we talked about last week were really dealing with the, de- the, the struggle that many have with legalism. And though we don't have circumcision, if you will, as the big point of debate in our church, we have our own forms of legalism, if you will. We talked about the fact that some people add this, these legalistic statements in their church and don't realize it. Uh, we've talked about the fact that many have said, hey, you know what, you must give to the church in order to be a real follower of Jesus that's been preached throughout the centuries. It's not something that's new. It's been going on for quite some time. Uh, Or that you have to attend a certain thing in order to definitely be a believer or a faithful follower of Jesus. We talked about the fact that there is proof that a person is not following with Christ, that they may not be one of His. But that is not the standard for which someone is saved. Okay. We also talked about that uh, a lot of churches, even today... They believe that you have to believe, look a certain way and behave a certain way. And if you don't look or behave a certain way, then you must not be a Christian or you might not, must not be a disciple of Jesus. We also talked about that freedom itself can be dangerous. Last week we talked about the fact that many of us, when we look at our lives, if we've grown up in a legalistic environment, what tends to happen is as we get older we tend to go, hey, I don't want to be legalistic, and what we end up doing is allowing sins to creep in. We tend to tolerate a lot more than maybe our family did if we grew up in a Christian home. And what tends to happen is we slip into more of a liberal mindset, one that says, hey, you know what, I have a license to do anything, right? In fact, one of the things we talked about is just because Jesus has set us free, we can now go ahead and sin freely. Is that really the the case? Absolutely not. We don't have that right. In fact, we, get, we came to the point where we are starting this morning in the third point, which is grace is divinely enabled. Grace is divinely enabled. We're going to read verses 5 through 6, 16 through 18, and 22 through 26 here in this text, starting at verse number 5. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of, of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. I say then, verse 16, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law." Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul specifically starts off by telling us here that there's a war that goes on. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, there's always a war that's going on. And if you're not aware of that war, you tend to give in to the wrong side of the battle. What ends up happening is the Holy Spirit, who's given to each and every believer, He wants to do certain things in our lives. And when we tend to go, hey, you know what? I don't really care what the Bible says. I'm going to add my own rules. We fall into dangerous traps. Or we go the other extreme. Hey, I'm going to ignore this entirely and live what I want. After all, Jesus has already saved me. I don't really need to worry about sin. I'm just going to kind of wing it, if you will, in my Christian life. And that's what some of us have been doing for years, right? We've, we've, we've said, hey, you know what? I'll read the Bible when I can get to it. Um, I'll pray when I can. Um, and then when we really desire to read the Word of God or pray, it's really when we have the low points of life, like when we lost our job. Oh, I <laughs> should probably pick up the Bible. might be a good idea right now, right? Or um, financial hardships hit our family. Or we lost a loved one. Or we have a marital problem in our home. And we're not connecting. You see, the word of God should be something we find a priority whether things are good or whether they're terrible. And What happens for many of us as time goes on, we take advantage of what we already know and we decide, I don't need to learn anymore. I already know enough for my Christian walk. Believer, let me tell you something really quick. I think there are a lot of texts in this scripture you know nothing about. And I know nothing about because we haven't dug enough. There are a lot of things that are in the text that if we went and searched and researched outside of that text and cross-referenced, God would reveal even more to us. That's one of the reasons why when a lot of people study the Word of God, they're, they're, they're satisfied with just merely reading. And we have a Bible reading program in this church. We implemented it this year, and I really want to encourage you to go on our website if you don't have that availability right now, and you're like, I don't have the paper printout that we have uh, that Pastor Roman said something about, I encourage you to go on our website, sgcspringfield.org, go on the Discipleship tab, look at the plan. And then once you look at the plan, we also have study material right there. So if you're going, hey, I don't know how to study the Bible, let me encourage you to start off with Constable's notes. He's going to give you a lot of insight in the backdrop of a lot of the texts that we're going to deal with. In fact, when we're reading through the Word of God, one of the biggest things that I think most people take for granted is the fact that you have so much at your disposal, but that the only Church did not have. Do you realize that right now, you can search like this online and find a Greek word? In times past, you'd have to wait for the person to turn in a big manual and look up that word. You have so many things at your fingertips and sadly what happens is people have actually studied less with more available it's really a sad tragedy in our country the thing that we notice here in the text is that there is no neutral ground between the spirit and the flesh there's always a war going on in fact this morning there's a war going on and many of you are not even aware of it it's going on right now as we're speaking as the word of God is speaking to us there's a war for your mind ultimately In fact, we talked about this earlier, that it's important for us to understand that we can either become legalists and add to the Word of God, or we can become liberals, if you will, and take away from the Word of God and say, well, this isn't important. I can live with the way I want. I have grace. The freedom you were given in Christ was not for you to live in sin, believer. The freedom was given to you to live for Him. That's who set you free. You are not your own. Scripture says you are bought with a price. And you know what that price was? A Savior who died on a cross for your sin. That's one of the reasons we talked about it last week. Why should we go back to sin, the very thing that Jesus rescued us from? Both legalism and license antinomianism do not understand the righteousness of God and what pleases Him. And they both define a relationship with God on their own terms. On their own terms. Paul here is saying that if the Holy Spirit has given you freedom in Christ, you should live in that freedom, but that freedom is to live for Christ, not for yourself. So what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit produces in the lives of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Before we start some of these things, I want to kind of make a statement here. Christ, apart from the things that he's already showed to us, wants to reveal more. And he uses the Holy Spirit, which uses the Word of God. If you want to follow Christ faithfully, you need to be in the Word of God, believer. All of these things that we're going to list this morning will not be lived out if the Word of God is void from your life. You can come and and listen to a sermon or listen to a message from somebody that speaks the Word of God and leave unchanged simply because the Word of God is not a priority in your life. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that many of us are hearers and not doers. We hear a lot of Scripture, we know a lot of Scripture, but it hasn't penetrated to where we're doing something with the Scripture we do know. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is in singular form here. It's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. It all comes in one package, and the Holy Spirit works all of those things in our lives. We're going to look at A few different categories, and I love the way Constable sets this up. So if you look at Constable's notes, you're going to see that a lot of the stuff I'm pulling, really, he did a better job on, and I'm going, hey, you know what? I'm not going to rework the wheel. I'm going to just go with the categories he put down. Obviously, I added some of the other things here in the other cross-references we have. But the first thing is mental or God-word qualities in verse 22. The first one is love. Agape, self-sacrificing affection for others unconditional love that comes from God himself, and it's not defined by man. We cross-reference that. We go to 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, you need to understand something about avoiding the reality of sin, If you're avoiding the reality of sin, then you don't understand the love that God had for you in dealing with your sin. God sent Jesus Christ because he loved you. And guess why he sent Jesus? Because you were a sinner that needed grace. So when we want to define love and we separate sin from that equation, we're not taking it the way God wants us to. In fact, God loves us as sinners. That is why we have Christ. Remember, Scripture says that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us enough to know you are in a state of sin and the only way I can remedy this by showing my love for you is sending my son Jesus Christ on your behalf. So love is an important function and feature of the Spirit. Another one is joy. Deep-seated gladness or delight regardless of circumstances. Is that you and me? Regardless of circumstances. 1 Peter 1 3 through 9 says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has given us again, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Believer, the greatest joy you and I can experience is the joy of our salvation and forgiveness of sin. If you and I rejoice in other things above that, we've missed what the real reason for rejoicing is. The real reason for rejoicing is the fact that Jesus was given to us on our behalf. Jesus is the reason for you to have joy. He's the reason, believer. Not your car, not your house, not your job, not the people around you, as wonderful and as frustrating as they can be. Jesus is the reason for joy. And his obedience to the Father is what matters ultimately. It's not just a matter of looking at the situation and saying, hey, you know what, my perspective changes today based on the circumstances. Joy does not care what the circumstances are because it rejoices in Christ. Joy is found in Christ. He's the one that you find gladness in. He's made you His child. God the Father made you His child. And Jesus is your Savior. He's rescued you from sin. Why have we forgotten that? Why have we forgotten that? Next feature, or fruit, if you will, the Spirit, is peace. And it's inner quietness and repose regardless of the circumstances. This is a quietness that comes from God and is not just a merely, it'll all be okay, right? How many of us know people like that? It'll all work out at the end. Believer, if you think that's what peace is here, you're wrong. This isn't one of those, it'll just work out in the end. This is not just a positive thinking mentality. Philippians 4.6 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want to have that kind of peace? It doesn't come from just thinking more positively about your day. And yet, a lot of Christians buy into that garbage. It's garbage. It's not biblical at all. I read this thing on Facebook, it encouraged me I have peace now. It'll work out at the end. This peace surpasses all understanding. Why? Because it comes from the Holy Spirit. This peace that comes from the Holy Spirit comes from a quiet place where you find something that you've never experienced in your life. No one else can give you that. When the Holy Spirit reminds us of all that Christ has done on our behalf. You know why you don't have to be anxious as the text in Philippians says? Your sins are forgiven. You don't go, well, it's going to work out at the end, so that's why I'm not going to be concerned at all, and I have peace with that. If your peace is not found in the Holy Spirit, then it's not biblical peace. Every single one of us needs a quiet time with God. And you and I don't find that peace of God because we don't take the time to find it. You see, there are a lot of religions in this world that practice meditation. And what they do is they quietly focus on something. Believer, biblical meditation is quietly focusing on the word of God. And if you want the peace of God, realize you have peace with God that gives you that ability. Because Jesus made that possible. Another feature, if you will, or fruit of the Spirit is interpersonal or outward qualities. Verse 22 Long suffering. It's not a word used much by people today. Long suffering. That's a long suffering person. Most people won't say that. You're more familiar with the other word patience. Patience forbearance even under provocation. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The idea here is Patience although most of us probably don't want to talk about patience, right? It's the one where we try to avoid because we realize the, way, the moment we utter the, that word, it's almost like we're dooming ourselves. I just mentioned patience. Guess what God's going to work on? Listen, believer, I don't know why we don't apply that with the other words. If we mention love, don't you think God needs to work on love as well? If we mention hope, don't you think God wants us to work on that as well in life? I don't know why we're also scared of patience. God has many things he's trying to work on in our lives. The problem is is we want things instantly, right? We have instant coffee, fast food, live stream. But we know the best things in life many times are the things that it takes time to make and enjoy. Like that fresh ground coffee. You're a coffee person. Instant coffee doesn't cut it, man. That's blasphemy, right? That does not belong in the same sentence. You are not saved if you think that's good. But no, (laughs) Grilled steak, right? Like, who wants something that's just, like, quickly at McDonald's? The live concert in person versus the live stream online that you watch, right? So it is with people. We want instant change, don't we? I mean, look at, look at how you approach everyone else, right? Like, you want them to change tomorrow. Honestly, today, like right now, after the sermon, we want them to change Did you hear that sermon by Pastor Roman? Yeah, yeah, you need to do this. It takes time. God took time with you, right? He was long-suffering towards you. Some of you were very, very, very resistant to the gospel for a while. God took some time with you. Those of us that got saved at an early age, we tend to think we never were rebels. I've always been a Christian. From the cradle to the tomb... No, you were a rebel. You need to remember that. You still reject some of the things that God wants you to do. Some of us have stopped doing things because we aren't seeing results right away. Is that not the case? You want instant results, right? Like, if you're going to invest today, you want the payout tomorrow, right? Like, I want to do this so that this happens tomorrow. How often is that in life? Some of you waited four years to finally graduate from college. You knew it took time, right? Your parents waited nine months for you to arrive. Those things take time. They weren't angry at you, right? Because it took so long. Come on, hurry up. Taking so long, six months in. What are you doing? It took time, right? They knew that that was going on. They knew that there's a process. You're growing. For some reason, once we're out, we forget that. When we look when we look at other people, we're like, man, why is it taking so long with them, Lord? We forget God's been working a long time on us on certain things. You need to be patient. And the patience here is a divine one dealing with difficult situations and difficult people. Sometimes they're the same thing, right? (laughs) Difficult people, difficult situations. Here's another one another fruit of the Spirit that we need to really work into our lives. Kindness. Yes, I know there are a lot of campaigns. Be kind. It's not the biblical kindness we're talking about, so please erase that. Benevolence and graciousness. Ephesians four thirty-one and thirty-two says this: Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What's fascinating is what Paul says in Ephesians is almost a similar contrast to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit he mentions here in Galatians, where he mentions bitterness, fits of rage, anger. He tells us to remember how God has forgiven us and be kind, and not just be kind, but forgiving one another. Kindness ties into forgiveness. If you think that being kind without forgiving someone that's done you wrong is some kind of separable entity, you're not understanding biblical kindness. When God was kind to you and me, he was kind because he ultimately wanted to forgive you and me. And our idea of kindness is I'm just not going to talk about the stuff that bothers me about them. I'm just going to be kind. That's nice. That's not kind. If God were a nice God, he would have never mentioned to us that we are are sinners. But because he's kind, he mentions to us that we're sinners, and he says, you know what? I care so much about you. I've sent Jesus on your behalf. Believer, you need to understand there's a difference between what the Spirit does when it comes to kindness and what the world does with kindness. That's one of the reasons why people puff their chest and they go, I did my one kind deed for the day. Congratulations, you paid for someone's Starbucks coffee. Yes, it's expensive, but five bucks ain't the end of the world. It's not some grand thing you've done. Kindness that comes from the Holy Spirit is different than the world. The next word, goodness. Constructive action reaching out to others. In fact, later on in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, check this out, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me me repeat that one more time. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. One thing that God is not for, believer, is for you to go out there and want to love everybody else but those that are disciples of Jesus. One of the tragedies in America and American Christianity is people want to grow their churches by bringing people in and being nice and trying to somehow entertain them into coming and forgetting the disciple that's walking alongside with them in reaching others with the gospel. Believer, when Jesus makes this statement, don't take it lightly. They'll know that you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. If people want to be a part of the family of God, the family of God needs to love one another the way they ought to. And if the family of of God does not love one another the way they ought to, there should be no shock that people don't want to be a part of the family of God. It shouldn't be like, I can't believe they don't want to join our church that might have all these things that we have against one another. That's why these things are so important, believer. Some of this seems so basic and simple, but these are at the core of why tension exists in the church in reaching the community. What you and I don't see is what God is fully aware of in our lives. You see, every single day you sow something, and you're going to reap in the future. You may reap next week, next month, next year, five years from now. And today, you're reaping certain things that you sowed years ago. And some of you are like, I don't know why I have all this crazy going on in my life. Well, do a little rewind in your mind and see what you've planted in the past. Why is my anxiety so high today? Well, I don't know, I racked up my credit card bill. That's a pretty simple one for a lot of us to evaluate, but for some reason we're like, I don't know why I'm still so stressed about money. Cut the card. Cut out the spending. Some of these are so basic that we're like over-exaggerating it. I don't know why I have problems in my marriage. I don't know, I didn't read the Bible in the last year. Am I help? I don't know why my kids are so disobedient. Well, I don't know. I didn't give them any consistency with discipline, did I? I don't know why people have problems with me. You come across as someone that's angry all the time, that might be a problem. Folks, there's a lot of things that we've done in our lives that we don't pay attention to because we're literally focused on everyone else. You see, some of us grew up scared of what God sees that is sinful, but what God also does see is the good that we've done in our lives. You see, most of us that grew up in certain types of churches, we always go, God is watching, and we're like terrified of that every day, right? Like, oh my goodness, God knows everything that's wicked and wrong in my life, and that's true. You know what God also notices? What you've done for others for his glory. You see, you have to have a right balance. If you get these out of balance in your life, you're going to be either terrified all the time or thinking God thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread. You need to have this in balance. In fact, Newsboys actually has a song that I actually love the lyrics that deals with this. It's the prayer in an empty room, little things we do when nobody's around. A hand reaching out to a heart in doubt, It's the smallest spark that can light the dark. That's how you change the world. I don't normally quote newsboys, but I thought that was an excellent, excellent phrase. You see, God does see the good that we do on this earth. And believer, I really want to make sure I put this in balance for you. He sees the devastation of sin in your life, but he also sees when you've cared for others. And he sees the good that you've done on behalf of Christ in those in this church and outside this church. But see, some of you, you've faithfully been praying for certain people for years. God sees that. Don't give up. Don't quit. God sees it all. The good and the evil. The next category is Back in Galatians chapter six or 5, general or self qualities, verses 22 through 23. First one is faithfulness. The idea there is reliability, trustworthiness. Interesting, the King James actually kind of misses the point here with saying faith when it's really faithfulness that's implied. It's for the long haul. Let me encourage you with something that... The Old Testament has on this. Lamentations 3:22 through 23 says this: Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We are faithful, believer, because God is faithful. If you forget that God is faithful, you won't have a tendency to want to be faithful yourself. Because you're going to think, oh man, God's out to get me. He's here to ruin my day. But if you remember, God is compassionate, and he didn't strike me dead after I sinned the same way 300 times already, and he allowed me to wake up this morning and come to church. You remember that God is faithful. That should encourage you to be faithful. In fact, we're all naturally born liars covenant breakers, but God has always been faithful. God is a faithful God, and we are to be faithful people. In fact, one of the phrases many of us know well, and we hear people say this all the time, that they want to hear from the lips of Christ. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Is that you? You want to hear that from Jesus himself? But understand, that comes from the Holy Spirit and remembering that God himself has been faithful to me. That's one of the reasons why some of you know this at a practical level. People that are faithful to you, you're faithful to them. You have a loyalty to them that you don't have for everybody else. Because if this person has your back, guess what? I've got theirs. Here's what's great. God has your back, believer. He's faithful to you. Why don't you have his back? God doesn't need to be in any way, enabled by anything that we do. He already has it all. But he's faithful to us. Why aren't we faithful to him? Why aren't we loyal to him? Next word, gentleness. Acquiescence to authority and consideration of others. 1 Peter 3.15-17, and this one I wanted to read from the New Living Translation, I think it puts it very well. It says this, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. It doesn't stop there. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I think I need to repeat that with Facebook lately and everything I see going on in 2020. Uh, But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, believers, we need to remember this in 2020. It is better to suffer for doing good If that is what God wants, then to suffer for doing wrong. Don't give people an opportunity to speak ill of you because you responded harshly rather than gently. What a point of application today, right? We're seeing that all around, right? Everybody's just so willing to hear each other out, right? Everybody's so gentle, right, in their discourse around the politics. Trump and Biden, man, I just disagree a little bit here and there, right? That's how the conversations go today. To be gentle and respectful when defending what you believe is important before God. I just want to remind you, the guy that wrote this text is Peter. I just, just want to throw that out there. Like, Peter, the guy that really messed it up many times, wrote this text for us in, in 1 Peter. And he said, you need to be willing to answer, but be gentle. You mean the brash Peter is telling me that? Yes, because God worked on him on this point. You see, some of it, you are, you're bombastic. You just want to explode. I'm that way naturally. Like, I see a horrible argument, I just want to destroy it right away. Missile launch. I don't care about the damaging effects, I'm walking away. That's not the way we ought to do things. Does that mean that you can't be passionate? No. Of course you can be passionate. But is it being respectful or just cutting somebody down? There's a difference there. The next one we're going to look at. Self-control. Self-control. As one author comments to the ending of this text, and the, the self-control here is the ability to master oneself. Man, if that's, a, if that's a point that the Holy Spirit needs to help us all with. Self-control. Kind of like encompasses all of them in one word, right? Law exists for the purpose of restraint, but in the works of the Spirit there is nothing to restrain. You see, if we're Christ, Paul says in verse 24, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts, desires. And passions are the outward expression of inner desires. That's what the constable says. Self-control is something the Holy Spirit has provided for every disciple of Jesus. If you can't help it, then you need the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You don't need someone else apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the ability exercise self-control in fact one of the most important things Paul mentions here is the need for self-control in the context of what was mentioned earlier in the works of the flesh Right? the works of the flesh we have to stay away from sexual sins societal sins, hatred, divisions, etc and even more out of control sins like drunkenness believer, the Holy Spirit's given to you so that you exercise self-control And in the areas you're not exercising self control, you need to ask whether you want to listen to him. Living by the flesh means living independent of the Spirit. That means, does it matter to me that I'm in fellowship with other believers or not? That I read the Word of God or not? That I pray for strength to fight temptation or not? How many of you actually have prayed for something you've struggled with lately, and you consistently pray for that? And I'm not talking the, the, Lord, forgive me for this prayer. Okay, everybody has that, right? Lord, please forgive me. I blew it 5,000 times. Everybody prays those prayers. I'm talking the prayer to resist the temptation, the urge to do the thing that you know you've done. How often do we pray that prayer? Apart from the Spirit, you will give into your own opinion, and it will be manifest itself in two different ways. We've talked about this earlier. Adding to stuff Scripture already says, or taking away from what's already clearly revealed? We need to be careful. So in conclusion, believer, one question. In light of last week and this week, are you abusing grace? Are you abusing grace? If you're someone that tends to feel like others don't live up to the standard, you want to be careful with that because you may be a legalist and not even realize you are. If you find yourself to be the only one that's right with God all the time and everyone else is wrong, you may be a legalist. If you're thinking of things that are standards that you want others to live by that you really can't prove from Scripture, you may be a legalist. Now, if you're someone that tends to live and let live, that's like your tendency. Like, I don't tell anybody anything because I don't want anybody telling me. You might have a tendency to be more liberal or antinomian or like, I don't need the law. I don't need the word of God confronting me. And you might have a tendency towards license and allowing yourself to do things God is absolutely against. In the Paul mentions here, you're abusing grace by using your freedom as a reason to sin, because that's what Jesus freed you from to begin with. Now, you may be here and saying, hey, this sounds interesting. I've been around Christians. They, I've seen the legalists. I've seen the live and let live Christians, and, yeah, know, man, they're all hypocrites. And let me, let me congratulate you for making the obvious statement. It's true. It's true. We're all hypocrites. Well, that's the reason we needed Christ. He's the only genuine thing out there. Jesus is the real thing. We're all frauds. And that's why we all need to trust him for salvation. There's only one that's worthy of honor and glory. Because he paid for our sin on the cross, was di- died and rose again the third day to prove that he has power over sin, yeah, the very sin that we struggle with still today, and death, the thing that most people are afraid of but won't, won't want to admit There's nothing that we can do to add to that or take away from that. It's all Him and it's all of grace. The Holy Spirit has already been given to all of us as disciples. All the tools that are necessary for us to live the Christian life are available freely to us. So why are you and I not doing that? Why are we not doing the things that He's given us the ability to in His Word? Let's pray.